Welcome to the Everyday Ultra Podcast, a show designed to help you level up your training, crush your races, and ultimately become a better endurance athlete every single day. Whether you're an endurance athlete as a hobby or someone who wants to be the best in the sport, this is the show for you. I'm your host, Joe Corsione, and thank you so much for listening. Now, let's get into it. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Everyday Ultra Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Corsione, and super excited to dive into this episode with you here today. But if you love ultra training tips, if you love getting new workouts to try out, if you love all the principles, insights, and things that are going to make you a better endurance athlete, then you're going to love the free, and yes, this is free, there's nothing paid on here, but the free everyday ultra newsletter so this is a new newsletter that i'm rolling out where i'm going to be sharing bite-sized tips insights workout recommendations training methodologies that are going to help you be a better endurance athlete every day so whether you're looking to run your first 100 miler or a pr your next ultra distance whatever that might be this is going to be the newsletter for you and it's going to be super bite-sized you're going to get it in your inbox once a week straight from me and we're going to take insights from my experience in running also you know my insights learning from tons of the best endurance athletes in the world on this podcast and you're going to get it all in bite-sized nuggets in your inbox totally for free once a week so if you'd like to subscribe to the everyday ultra newsletter to help you become a better endurance athlete every day head to the show notes under the link that says subscribe to the newsletter and be on the lookout for the next edition of the everyday ultra newsletter and if there's anything that you want to see in that newsletter or things that might be helpful just hit reply in the welcome email that you get after you sign up and I'll be happy to tailor the content to the feedback that I get as well. Um, but just know there's going to be tons of great stuff in there. I almost like see it as, you know, getting a, you know, weekly pop in by uh, endurance, you know, the endurance wisdom gods or whatever. I don't know. I'm just making stuff up at this point. But you know what I'm saying. If you want endurance tips, the newsletter is going to have it for you. So subscribe to the newsletter, head to the show notes, click the button or I should say click the link next to the part that says subscribe to the newsletter and we'll see you in the inbox. All right, that's it for now. And let's get into this amazing episode here. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Everyday Ultra Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Corsione. I'm super pumped for this episode. So I was talking with our guest today before we started recording. Uh, we've been back in touch on Instagram, following each other. I've known about his amazing running accomplishments with just to name a few, like over the past few years, Coca Dona 250, the Speed Project, and most recently, uh, the FKT on the Bay Circuit Trail up in the Northeast as well. Smashing the record, by the way. I mean, like it was, like, came there and dominated as well. So, but not only is he rocking it in those 200 mile plus efforts as well, he's also hitting the podium and coming into the first place at a lot of different 50Ks, 100Ks, like all these other distances as well. So when we talk about versatility, uh, our guest has that too. So not only has he learned a ton from the 200 mile races, he can go out and rip it on a fast 50K. We've seen him do it so many times before. Um, he's a member of the Air Viper racing team, uh, which is incredible. I love every single person on that team. So always great to have the Air Viper crew on there as well. He's also involved with K crewing which is a super cool community revolutionizing the way of connecting crew with different racers out there and all around most importantly 
He's a great guy. And so I'm excited to have on my good friend, Cole Crosby, to the Everyday Ultra Podcast. Cole, thanks so much for coming on, man. Congrats again on the BCTFKT. And so good to have you here, brother. Thanks, Joe. Uh, it's been a long time coming, but I'm happy I ran fast enough to uh, merit coming on the show. So um, yeah, real, real excited. And um, yeah, just give my best to, to everyone out there. Happy holidays. And uh, yeah, we'll have some fun. We'll dive in. <laughs> Absolutely, man. And dude, I mean, you've been running fast for a while. I know we've been talking for a while about having you on the show. And when you did the BCT, I was like, dude, like it's time. It's time to have us on. So I'm, I'm excited to, to have you on and talk about your journey. I definitely want to talk about the progression you've made because it's so cool to see you going into these 200 mile events like Cocodona and Speed Project and leveling up like and we've talked a lot online and like the things you learn about like those kind of things as well. And I'd love to do that. But just to kind of set the stage for people who um are just new to you or are just learning about you too. How did you make your way into the sport and you know, what kind of drives you as an athlete to, to do what you do? Yeah, I think, um, one of the things I love most about ultras is it's really about consistency. It's about putting in the work each, each and every day behind the scenes, behind the veil. Um, social media does allow for us to kind of see a little bit of that, but a lot of what I do, I just don't showcase cause it's not like, beautiful, you know, it's beautiful in its own sense, but it's hard work. Um, and that's what life is all about. So, um, you know, I, I initially got my feet wet in the world of ultra running, uh, out in Arkansas. I ran a, uh, no frills 50 K called the white rock 50 K. Um, it was like, you don't pay any money to enter. Like, I think I donated like $20 into the, uh, the, uh, the fund and, Ran on some really cool dirt roads up in the Boston Mountains, just south of Fayetteville, which is a really great uh, kind of trail location. Um, so people should check that out. But uh, I think I ran like 350, like something for the, you know, I won. I ran 350 something for the 50K. Oh, wow. um, and that kind of set things off. And um, from there, I moved back out east into upstate New York, um, Cortland, uh for grad school, SUNY Cortland. And then oh, nice. I lived in Binghamton, New York for a long time, uh, about six and a half years. And then, um, you know, eventually I migrated over to, um, to where I am now in good old Cranston, Rhode Island, just south of Providence, which is a really cool place. Um, but yeah, that's how it all started for me. Oh, so good, man. And I think it's so cool that you, you jumped into the no frills 50 K and ended up winning the thing. And it kind of just had sparked like an interest from there because I'm sure, you know, it's like, were you just feeling at the time like, oh, wow, I can really do big things in this sport? Like, I'm sure that was a confidence builder for you to continue to ask that question of like, what's possible? Is that the scenario you kind of faced with that first race? Kind of. I mean, I was training for the Oklahoma City Marathon. So mm. um, I ran a 50K before and before I ever ran a marathon, to be <laughs> That's completely awesome. honest. Um, and I felt in my mind, I'm like, oh, if I can run on dirt and like run 31 some odd miles, up in the mountains of Arkansas or the hills of Arkansas, like I should be able to run a fast marathon. And it translated really well. I mean, I was second at the Oklahoma City Marathon. Um, I had a crazy negative split. I forget what I, I went through, like 120 something. And then I remember like rattling off, like with my like uh, Nokia, like non GPS watch, like some 515 and like five, 10 minute miles towards the finish. Um, and that's where I said hi to Camille Heron. She was out there running the marathon. You know, she won for the women. Um, she was actually ahead of me for, I think about 15 miles of the, of the marathon before I kind of passed her, made a decisive move and said, hi, cause we kind of know each other. So, um, so yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of my, I guess, MO and philosophy is, um, you know, don't be afraid to try, you know, bold, bold things, even if you haven't done them before. 
Yeah, I love that, man. I'd love to hear how that kind of relates to this journey of 200s that you've taken over the past few years, because obviously you're fast to, to run that marathon time, like with, you know, the negative splits on there is truly incredible. I mean, some of the splits you were mentioning, that's, that's a blistering fast pace. And, um, I know you, you're, you're a fast runner. You have a lot of fast results and some fast courses, and it's so cool to see you kind of expand your horizon into the 200. So first 200 Coca Dona 250, that was kind of like your first experience delving into that. What intrigued you about that? Just kind of being more so of, you know, kind of like the, the faster kind of runner to dive into something that is so big, because the reason why I ask this question is because a lot of times it can be easy to, you know, put like anyone, like this could be me, anyone, but like put yourself in a box to say, I'm a fast runner. I only do hundred miles or things like that, but you branched out. So like, talk to me a little bit about like what motivated you to go for Cocodona, like despite it kind of being this new experience for you. Yeah. I mean, I think initially I started ultras in 2012 and I was like, I'm going to make a USA team. And so I focused primarily on 50 K to hundred K. Oh, wow. And so I did that for like eight years and then, you know, COVID happened and I was like, I had never, I had run 400 mile races, all DNFs, like mm. random weird stuff had, had happened. I also picked like some, some very difficult, um, East coast style hundred milers. Um, and, um, I did during COVID run across New Jersey, which is like my home state. So never before finishing a hundred mile race, I ended up running almost 200. I ran 197. Right. And so, um, th that experience opened my eyes to, you know, kind of like this whole new realm of possibility. I've always been someone motivated by adventure, exploration, and using, you know, my own body as a vessel to be able to experience the natural world. You know, we spend so much time behind four, uh, four walls. And, um, I've been a true believer of just like, pushing those walls aside and getting out, out in nature and experiencing what the world has to offer. Cause, um, you know, I feel like, especially nowadays, we don't spend that much time out, out there. Um, and so that's why I love ultra running and, uh, Cocodona was personal for me in the sense that like there's race director, Steve Adderholt. I, I knew him from when I was in, uh, you know, working the same kind of industry. I was a, a field marketing rep for a brand called Nathan sports or Nathan, and uh, we were a partner with Ragnar Relay. He was a Ragnar trail director, race director. So I knew that Steve knew how to put on events. And, um, you know, after some personal friends ran Cocodona year one, I was like, hmm, let's just see how this plays out. And then I was like, I knew I wanted to do it. And, um, you know, after the whole experience with year one, I'm like, all right, year two, sign me up, I'm in. And um, that's how it happened. Uh, funny enough, my wife ended up surprising me and buying my entry which is not cheap and um yeah and then we just prepared for that and um showed up you know may it was like may 4th 2022 and was like let's get after it oh my gosh that is so rad and dude i think your wife wins wife of the year for purchasing a coca donut entry for you as a gift like that is incredible man and i love you could tell just how driven you are by adventure and seeing more and i think that's such a cool thing of like why we get into the sport and i can totally see how like doing something like running across new jersey which is so freaking cool to uh inspire like again that that question of like what else can i do what is possible um it's clear to me that along this journey, like you've learned so much from each of the 200. So I would love to dive into lessons and takeaways, but talk to me a little bit before we dive into like the, the Cocodona takeaways, like what was your training kind of like? Because as you know, like we, we talk about this beforehand and a lot of people know listening, I'm training for my first 250 mile race. And so, uh, and I always get that question. It's like, how are you training? And you know, it's something that I'm, you know, going through myself too. And so curious to you, like what 
what was your training kind of looking like? And maybe what are the biggest shifts in the training that you were doing relative to kind of some of the other shorter distance races that you were kind of doing in the past? Yeah, I think there's two points. It's aerobic efficiency and physical resiliency are kind of the two main um, kind of like bullet points for people. So um, let's just go to physical resiliency. I think for me, um, 200 milers, there's things that like can go wrong, like your hip flexors get tight and hamstrings get tight. And so, um, you know, the more that you can kind of be really strong and build, build up the, the fortress walls of your body, the easier it's going to be when things try to break down that, to be able to remedy them quickly. Um, so I think that's really important. And then the aerobic efficiency, the thing that's really that I, I find really intriguing about 200 mile races is that when I'm running them, I rarely feel like I'm super out of breath. Like mm. I'm not like, like huffing and puffing where like, I might do that more in like a 50 mile or a hundred K or obviously in the 50 K you're kind of redlining. Um, and so the more that you can really build a strong aerobic base and be really efficient at running different paces, the better you are going to be in the 200 mile. Um, especially I think for me, like having decent foot speed, um, it's, it's, it's also training your mind, having mental gears. So like for me, like, uh, when I ran Cocodona, it was like, anytime I was in motion, like 12 minute miles were kind of like what I could do no matter what I was feeling physically. Mm. Um, and that's in this grand scheme of a 200 mile race. That's fast. Um, and so like maybe for those track speedsters that are, you know, running, uh, you know, 250 for a 50 K they're like, Oh, come on. I can never, I'd never do a 200 miler. What are you talking about? Are people running 12 hours for a hundred miles are like, Oh, this is, you know, I'm not going to do a 200 miler, but at the same time, like you can take those elements of speed and kind of tailor it for the style of race that you're going to be doing. And so like, that's kind of what I did in a 200 mile race and realized like, Oh, like, I guess I have, I, I do pretty well at this at like remaining efficient, even when I'm like the wheels are falling off kind of thing, you know, it's like, so, uh, and I do see that more, more athletes that combine those elements in 200 mile races as the sport kind of continues to grow as that distance continues to grow in popularity as well. Mm, yeah. I love that, man. And I love how you talk about just building that aerobic base and that like mentality, that fortress that you talked about too. Cause like, that's the thing it's, it's, it's interesting to see, like I was looking at a lot of training logs from like, you know, Mike McKnight and all these other kind of like famed 200 milers and like, sure they're getting in a lot of time on feet, but like mileage wise, it's relatively similar to training for like a hundred miler, which was the thing that like blew my mind. Cause you know, generally with the hundred mile race, you know, depending on your speed and what terrain, like you could be getting anywhere between 75 miles to hundred plus miles like a week. But you know, a lot of these people like a Mike or a string bean or, um, like a Mika fuse, like they're all getting like 70 to 80 miles, like max, which is just interesting. Was that kind of similar with your kind of training, just given that it was generally that slower kind of thing? Cause I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions is like, if you're training for a 200, like you have to get this like absurd amount of mileage, but I'm, I'm for you is I'm, I see you shaking your head. I'm assuming for you yeah. it definitely was applied in that same case. Right. Yeah, definitely not. I mean, I've, I've run probably 70 to 80 miles for like 16 years now. Um, and so where I think other athletes have like fast tracked their fitness in terms of I'm going to run 140 miles and it might work for some, but like in, for me, like I see running as like a lifelong pursuit. And so it might've taken me longer to like hit my, like my, uh, fitness threshold. If you want to call it at that, you know, I'm 35 now and I feel like I'm just like scratching the surface in terms of like, I've had enough experience of making mistakes in my early twenties running races and, you know, not really preparing for them well in terms of like the lead up into a race. 
as well as the execution. And um, also all the time, all those miles that I've banked over the years have now kind of like added up and really built something really strong. So like I have a lot of different tools in the tool shed that I can kind of pull from. Mm. And I think what interests me the most about 200 mile races is that, you know, what you experience in a hundred mile race, like the skills that you need are, there's a whole array of skills, but in two hundreds, like it's even more, um, even more broader in terms of like, cause you, you might, might have the fastest marathon speed, but not win a 200 mile race because there's so many other factors in play, the nutrition, the, the sleeping aspect, the, uh, aid station efficiency, the, um, the physical care, foot care, um, the chafing side of things, you know, um, you know, wearing proper clothing based on the environmental conditions. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And I think for me, like I've, I've maybe necessarily not been the fastest athlete, but I've definitely been one that works hard, but also like, I'm a, I think I I observe a lot, right? Like, so like when I'm out there experiencing things, I take a lot of mental notes. Um, and I look at the whole holistic totality of the experience and saying, okay, this happened for a reason. My feet were, were jacked up. Like what it's like an experiment. What, what did I do? What did I not do? And then in training, what, yeah, like play around with these concepts of how to improve, you know, train, that's what training is about. It's your, it's your, your moment to test things. Um, so that when it comes to the race, you're kind of like, okay, I've kind of figured out like what's going to work and what's not going to work. And we're just going to, you know, and I have, have a contingency plan. If the, the, that plan goes totally at the wayside, which that happens. And, uh, you know, the more that you can kind of like have these backups and like, kind of figure out more about yourself, the better that you're going to maximize every step that you take. Mm, dude, I love that, man. I love the analogy you talk about, like it's an experiment, right? Because like, sure, it's the race. Sure, it's like the big stage. But like, in essence, it can be an experiment for the future races that you do, which is inherent with your story and your journey and what you've accomplished over your last 200. So sticking on the theme of that too, like when it comes to like Cocodona, like in the experiment of, you know, being in a first 200 mile kind of race, talk to me about like some of the biggest lessons that you learned. We were already talking before this a little bit about foot care and stuff. Cause I was just super curious to, to dive into there. I'm sure that'll come up in there. But like, when you think about your biggest lessons that you learned in Cocodona that helped you for future success or for anyone listening, who's like, you know, I'm doing my first 200 mile race, AKA the guy behind the mic here. Um, like what would be maybe some of the biggest lessons you learned in your first 200 mile plus race at Cocodona? Yeah, I think for one, a, a good, a good positive call out to Cocodona is that it's one of the most diverse courses I've ever run. And mm. so you have to really be a complete athlete. And, um, I knew that coming in that that's kind of how you have to prepare. Um, unfortunately for me, like things went pretty well. Like, I mean, I was running, you know, with Mike McKnight and he was having some stomach issues. Um, and that, you know, I got to spend a lot of time with them, like going up Mingus and everything. And that was fun. Um, but yeah, the, the foot, the foot side of it, foot care is, was something that really is two things that went, well, three things that went awry for me. Um, the foot care was probably the biggest story of my Cocodona 2022. Mm. Um, just because I had, really terrible blisters, uh, just leaving Jerome. So at that point in the race, because of the, they had to do the reroute of the first 50 K. So we had to run through Prescott and do like a loop down to skull Valley and all this stuff. But you know, by the time I made it to Jerome and hit this long descent, um, going to the, I think it's like the Agua Fria river. Um, there's like this rocky wide open descent. That's got like crazy sharp boulders and like, um, beer bottles. And like, you're kind of like, am I on the course? Like what's, what is this? And then, 
Um, I just like smashed my feet really hard. And by the time I made it to the bottom, I knew that something was wrong. And um, I had I had been like dealing with a little bit of hot spots during that race. Um, but by the time I made it to the next aid station, um, like Dead Horse Ranch, um, we took a look at my feet and I was like, pretty much my wife is like, don't look because <laughs> it was so bad. Oh, and it, it, it continued to get worse and worse. Um, and ultimately, I, I just wasted a lot of time getting my feet worked on the last like 10 aid stations of that race. I mean, I went back on the like the track leaders numbers and, you know, my moving pace was uh, and this is something that Joe McConaughey pointed out. He was like, Cole, when you were running, like when you were in motion, you were running as fat the same pace that I ran. You just wasted way more time than me because and it's no like, way. oh, because uh, initially I was like, I'm like, I didn't really do that. I did OK. I didn't do as well as I hoped for. Like, should I stick out this 200 mile kind of thing? And Joe was actually instrumental in being like, no, I think you have a lot of potential here. Um, he's like and he called out this statistic and I looked at it and I was like, oh, cool. Like, OK, so I guess I do have a lot of potential to be really good at this distance. And so. Um, so, yeah, I mean, throughout all the last 10 aid stations, I you know probably wasted at least 10 hours um, get my feet looked at. So that was one thing. Uh, I learned a lot from the medic team. They were amazing. Air Viper does a great job, um, with their volunteers and, uh, especially with the medical, the trained medical staff that they have, uh, were phenomenal. Um, so that was one point two was I live in the Northeast and it's very humid and, and moist. And I knew that coming, going out to the desert was going to be hot. Uh, I was prepared for that, but like, I just, did not hydrate as much as I needed to. And it really mm -hmm. came down to just drinking water. Like I was so, I had like cotton mouth the whole time. I was so thirsty and I just couldn't figure it out. Like, I'm like, I'm drinking like four times as much as I normally do, even in a hot summer day. And I'm like, it's still not enough. Like what's going on? So, um, there was a, there's a stretch where I got pretty dehydrated, like on the Arizona trail heading into the second to last aid station, um, before you make the way up to Mingus or sorry, not Mingus, um, Eldon. Yep. And, um, I, I was like, I mean, I was out of water for like, I don't know, five to seven miles. And at that time it turned into almost like two hours and oh my uh, gosh. It, was like, it was in the middle of the, the heat of the day. And the other thing is in Flagstaff, you're like, oh, well it, it's high, It's higher elevation. It can't be that like that bad. It's probably, it's a lot cooler and all this stuff, but it's still an arid Alpine kind of like desert environment. And so, um, I didn't plan for that. So that kicked my butt. I came into the aid station, like, um, looking like I was on, like about to like pass out, you know? Um, and so there was a little bit of a scare there, but, um, you know, that was another lesson. And then, um, I think one of the other ones is the sleep deprivation part of it. I, with my feet and everything, I pushed so hard. Um, and I was like, I remember there's a point where like at mile 205.5, I was like, had like an out of body hallucination experience kind of like, it's not like I don't hallucinate where I see things, but like, I literally was like, uh, I felt like I was like outside of my body, like hovering, watching myself, like run this race that I felt like I had already run Cocodona though. I was actually in real reality in the midst of running this race. Right. <laughs> and, um, I remember a moment I sat on a, a log and I remember a moment where and I did this all, all pretty much without pacers, except for the very end. Um, Wait, really? Whoa. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's interesting. That's what we'll talk about chaos crewing and kind of why this, you know, why, why chaos crewing kind of exists. Uh, that was part of it. Hmm. And, um, 
yeah, so I sat on this log and I saw I saw him looked at my phone and I saw that Joe McConaughey was just finishing and I was like, oh, I'm still in this race. I gotta go. I gotta go. And um, that snapped me out of it. But um, that's the other thing was that I didn't really I had a sleep plan, but it went out the window and then I didn't sleep. Like I took like short little naps and that did nothing for me. Just mm. burnt the candle on both ends and then I, sh- I showed up like out of my mind pretty much. Um, you know, talking to bushes and like the aid station workers i literally thought i didn't i didn't believe they were real and so i was like hiding behind bushes while they were like they're like cole you made it to the aid station and i'm like are you are you a person are you real is this is this the mile such and such place and they're like yes yes grab a seat you know it's four in the morning too so it's kind of like it's that weird time uh where you're kind of like you know who knows anything can happen at four o'clock in the morning so um uh, anywho those are the three the three learnings from this uh from cocodona the feet the hydration part of it, and then the sleep deprivation part of it. So I kind of failed on all, all three. <laughs> oh my gosh. But that's a good yeah. lesson to have on there. And like, I mean, those are three things where that is such an interesting stat that Joe kind of told you too, like of how like you're pretty much running the same race that he did. And he won that race as we know. And like, but it was the aid station time. That's like just so interesting. And I think yeah. that speaks volumes to how important that efficiency is. And even not even just getting in and out, but like, you know, just being well prepared with feet and like making sure that you're like mitigating your need for being at those aid stations. I think that's such valuable. And like, I mean, like that's, I feel like a stat that's like one that's like gotta be confidence building though too. Cause it's like, okay, like the fitness is there, but like, it's kind of these logistical things that I need to kind of sort out, which I think is, I mean, like, correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like a little easier to kind of manage than just like a fitness kind of thing. So I think that's super cool to see what we're like knowing, like the three things that you mentioned, like the feet, the hydration and the sleep, like what were some things that you did to prepare for the speed project kind of coming up knowing that like, okay, I need to get these down. Like, and was this something that you like kind of going back to what you were saying before, like implementing in training or like just kind of game planning in a different way. Like how did you take those lessons and then like find the winning strategy, like through those lessons as you headed into the speed project? Yeah. So, um, I never wanted my feet to be what keeps me out of a race ever again. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the things I learned from the medics were like that there was a thing called pre-taping, which is kind of like, a, it's a preventative measure. Um, not all people do it. Um, some people may, might say it may not work for them. Maybe they, but I, I know it's where it's worked for me. So if it works for me, I'm sticking with it. Um, you know, you have to find kind of your own, um, own kind of, uh, kind of game plan yourself through, through experimentation. But, um, yeah, so I learned about pre-taping. I learned about this thing called Luco tape. Um, I learned about, um, in terms of hydration that, uh, you know, when you're, if you can't simulate a spe- specific type of environment, um, you know, you have to just really do as much research as possible. I, I learned that like, for me, like I do pretty well with the, my, my electrolyte levels. Um, it's really just like, and maybe it's, I, I've, I'm also, I think I've worked towards being more like fat adapted if you want to call it at that. And so mm-hmm. I feel like for me, I end up drinking more water than most people versus like electrolytes. So my ratio to water is like 75% to 25% electrolytes. Mm. And, um, that, that, that just works well for me. So, um, when I'm in these drier, more desert environments, I, I realized that, um, you know, for me drinking more waters makes sense. So that was something that I focused on when I was running through the Mojave desert in the, the speed project. Um, and then the sleep part of it, it was like, okay, so, 
uh, I need to figure out like what is going to be the best sleep formula and, and talking to my wife and uh, kind of our, our crew that we had, it was like, I just need to sleep more. Like I thought mm. these like 20 minute naps and doing a bunch of them was going to like make sense. Um, but it didn't really do much for me. Um, and so, um, I actually, uh, Shelby Farrell, I actually took one of her, her sleep strategies from speed project. So she did uh, slept like an hour or an hour or two for every like 12 hours of movement. And so I kind of did something similar. I slept the way I did it was, um, and this is about optimization, right? So like one of the things I learned was like, man, I wasted so much time in these aid stations. Like it's great talking to people and hanging out and stuff. But like, if you're in a race, like 20 minutes becomes, you know, for like 16 aid stations, I mean, you're losing a couple hours. And mm. that time, if you're just talking and just hanging out, it's wasted time when you're thinking about your end result. So um, we worked really hard as a, as a team and as a crew to like optimize every you know purpose, like uh, really like time is a runner's currency. And so like, are you just going to throw money away? Or are you going to mm. actually like, you know, put it where it matters, right? So I, I looked at it in that way and having that importance. And so when I, we did that, the sleeping part of it was like, um, I think I, I slept like uh, every like maybe like one hour to an hour and a half every 12 hours for the speed project, 346 miles. Um, and um, that worked out really, really well. There were some times where I, was, it, I slept a little bit longer because it was like pouring rain outside. People say it doesn't rain in the desert, but it did when we were out there, which is kind of strange. But made it a little bit fun and interesting. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I just learned that, um, you know, really time is so important. And, um, you know, we literally, we got to a point where like, when I was running the speed project, like I was on the, on the shot clock. So we would budget a certain amount of time. And the goal was the more time that I could, um, like not waste through an aid station, especially when I'm feeling really good early on, it's like one to three minutes. That's my time. We're focusing on like, say two things. They're changing in my bottles. I'm shoving down some calories and I'm not really talking much. I'm maybe doing like grunts saying like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, that stuff. I'm just focusing on that task. And then they'll tell me like one minute left to three minutes. And I'm like, okay, I gotta, we gotta get going. And then it's like, okay, the time is there. And I'm like, all right, I'm good. I'm good. Let's go. And I'll see you at the next one. Boom. And that's by doing that, I was able to maximize my time sleeping mm. rather than uh, and it actually, in terms of my pace, ended up like balancing out. So like, um, I think for the speed project, I averaged like 16 minutes a mile, including sleep. Um, and um, I believe, I mean, my moving paces were like ridiculous. Um, like Strava had it, like, I think I was, did like 1036 for the first 200 miles or so uh, moving pace. Um, and then like, I think I slowed down to like 12 minutes, like low 12 minutes, the the last half of it. So, um, yeah, it was like, I, I ran and I ran hard. I mean, I think I, uh, I haven't really run a hundred mile race per se, like a fast one, Havelina maybe one day. Um, just so I can say I ran a fast hundred, but, um, I went really aggressive in that run. I went through like, I don't know, like 17, 18 hours low for a hundred miles and then kept going. Whoa, that is incredible. Like, and like, I love the strategy. I actually haven't heard of that. It's like getting in and out of the aid station to bank more time with the sleep because I, I mean, I even saw it a lot with Cocodona live stream this year. Like people would go to the aid stations, they kind of sit, they chill, they'd be there for like 10, 15 minutes. And like, sure. There's like the one camp that's like, 
yeah, you can take a little bit more time here because it is a longer race. But if you are a person that needs more sleep, you can use that extra time to bank the sleep, which can really, really help with that. So like if you were just to kind of ballpark this, and I don't know if you have like like hard data around it, but like excluding the sleep, like how much total do you think time you spent at the aid stations at the speed project? Oh, um, great, uh, great question. For the longest time, the first 200 miles, I don't think I was over uh, 30 minutes. Get out. That's yeah. crazy. <laughs> yeah. That is um, awesome. I slowed down a lot the second, like the last 150-ish miles or so. Um, so it was probably a couple, maybe like an hour or two or a couple hours. But um, yeah, I mean, the first 200 were pretty, we, we knocked out of the park. Oh my gosh, that's yeah. wild, dude. That's wild, especially like, I mean, because you would think like that's a way longer race than Cocodona and like having that in there. And so you would think like the aid station time should be more, but I like that optimization strategy. I haven't heard that before. And like for me as someone, I, and again, I'm going to be experimenting with this, but like I'm, I know I'm not good at sleep deprivation. So this is a useful tip for me to hear for sure. I'm sure you get this question a lot. And it's one that like I always am so intrigued by people who go these very long distances. I mean, like when you compare, the speed project versus Cocodona. I mean, the distance is way longer. Like it is a just whole different kind of beast in terms of mileage and distance. Like does anything change in the mindset that you need to have for that kind of race? And if not, what are some principles? Like, of course, like you mentioned before, having like the strong mind, having that fortress, of course, but like kind of go deeper on that. Like when you are in, you know, mile 300 and like you're in kind of like that zone where you're like, I need to like really just just dig deep because at that point right of course you need to keep moving and do the things but i mean that mileage to me like my brain just like doesn't compute that so like i'm i'm curious like what goes through your mind and like does it change when you go from you know something like Cocodona to the speed project yeah i um uh I, I maybe i preface this by saying maybe i'm a little bit wired differently than other people um but when i run these long distances like i don't uh, so your mind is a muscle, right? And so um, the mind can be over overworked and get tired. And it's it's this uh, aspect of 200 mile mile races, multi day racing that we don't normally like account for. It's like we focus on the physical and the nutrition and all this stuff, but like your mind is probably the most important like muscle or aspect that you need to take care of in these events. So um, for me, the longer sleeping helps keep my mind fresh and precise because I need it to be able to work and problem solve and mm. operate on a high uh, level of efficiency. Because when your mind starts to go, then you're just really, then you're a zombie. And then you're just relying on, if you have a pacer, you're just following this like person. And if you're by yourself, I mean, God knows who, where you could go. You can end up like making out with a cactus or something, you know, for all, for all I know. So um, I think that that's really, really important is to, you know, focus on those things. Like I know people take the, the ketone stuff, I haven't really played around with that stuff, but like maybe that could be something that could work or maybe it works for people. Um, but definitely, I think when you when you take care of your mind, it's uh, you're going to perform a lot better. Um, and so dirt naps are, are great. But like, um, you know, I've just learned learned that you have to really like uh, really focus on the, the, the mental aspect. And so for me, in terms of preparation, like um, I really most of my training is really training my mind. It's the mm -hmm. physical part of it is a, is a direct result, but like I, I train my mind to be kind of like this, this, uh, this like idea of flow. Um, the more that I can run different paces really efficiency efficiently, 
in terms of running economy and just how it feels, the more that I, I feel more comfortable with um, X type of pace or effort and like, don't look at the watch and really just focus on like wh what I'm doing in the environment, whether it's road or trail. You know, I, I say a lot of times in these 200 mile races, distance is just a number. And really when you, if you're Joe, if you're in the middle of Cocodona and it's mile 185 and you're like, Oh my God, I have 35 more miles to go or whatever it is, or, you know, 70 or 80 miles to go and start panicking. Well, what you're saying when you, when you fixate on that distance, you're accepting defeat. You're saying that mm. the distance is greater than my ability. Mm. But when you break things into minute little chunks and say, well, I have 15 miles to go from here to here. And these are going to be the best damn 15 miles of my life. Let's go. And then you get to that checkpoint, your crew's there, you're, you got things dialed, boom, 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 NASCAR style. And then you have another 25 miles to go. And you're like, okay, I'm going to run the best 25 miles I've ever run in my life. Let's go. And that's, that's literally how I run all these longer races. It's like, uh, how did I get from LA to Vegas? It's literally by one step at a time, not worrying about what the end result is. It's focusing on the here and now and saying, you know, in this moment, I'm going to be the best version of myself. Each step is an opportunity to be one, one better version than where you were the step before. So, um, it's all about optimization and maximizing your own potential, right? In the past, I was so focused on like, I got to beat so-and-so. I got to finish in this place. I got to do this and this and this. And the, and why is Courtney DeWalter so great is because she, literally her her mental mental capabilities, she says, okay, if I put my best foot forward and give my best performance, I'm going to do very well. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if other people have a better day than me and they maximize their own potential, then they, they, they might, they might beat me. There's always that possibility. That's why we run these races and do these challenges. Right. Uh, but when you really, really focus, I guess, more inward on yourself and not really worry about the external, um, you're able to get the best performance out of yourself that you can. And that's, mm. that's really why we're doing this stuff. You know, that's why we're here. So good, man. And I love how you, cause I like the, the strategy of the micro goals and like, you know, almost breaking it down into chunks, but I love the frame that you put on that. Like I'm going to run the best 15 miles of my life. Right. Like, I think that's, that's so powerful to have on there because I love it. You, you mentioned and you're hundred percent right. It's like when you do like say, oh my gosh, I have 35 miles to go or 70 miles to go. Like in that implication, like be, then you put it great. It's like you admit defeat and at the same time, you're also seeing that as going to be difficult, but like having that frame, like you're saying of like, oh, this is going to be, I'm going to run the best 50 miles. Like I'm going to do this. Like, I think that's such a good frame on there, man. And, um, I love it. You brought up Courtney and, and kind of taking the principles from that and applying it to your own journey, which is just like, so cool to see you just like getting the success in those areas. Now with the speed project itself, right? Like you, I love how you capitalize on the things like the feet, the hydration, the sleep, like things have went good. Um, any other like additional lessons you may have learned from that one though? Cause I feel like once you get past the point of like 250 miles, right? Like, and you're kind of like, you know, now in this uncharted territory, there's bound to be some lessons abound too, kind of sticking with that theme. So like, what are some, some takeaways that you got from TSP when you were, when you were making your way from LA to, to Vegas, which by the way, that's what the race is for people who didn't know, like the speed project, typically a relay race, uh, Cole's nuts and did, uh, did it solo. So, um, but yeah, you literally run from, uh, from LA to Vegas, which is a gnarly, gnarly run off these like crazy routes and everything. But anyways, I digress. Um, on this on this crazy run, what are some things that you learned that would eventually lead to helping you at the BCT, which which I definitely want to hear more about too real soon? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think the big biggest lesson that I learned was that crew is a performance enhancing element that 
in ultra running, people don't utilize. Um, and so in many ways, I think kind of uh, my wife's kind of side business, that's really where things were solidified was at Chaos Crew. It was uh, all women crew. It was my wife, Ashley, one of our friends, and now um, one of her business partners, Kelsey, and then one of our friends, um, Desandra. Um, Kelsey is not a runner. Desandra is not a runner. Um, Ashley would say she's not a runner, but she finished the New York City Marathon. So oh, nice. She does run some um, every so often. Um, but, um, you know, how does, how, you know, really without them, like I would not have been able to do what I set out to do. And um, the camaraderie, the fact that we were able to bring people in into the fold, into this crazy world of trail and ultra running, um, and they brought their skills and really, really allowed me to just execute like no other. I mean, there's obviously there's challenging points throughout every ultra. I mean, I remember running through a portion of uh, Death Valley where um, it was like the crux of this thing where we, we saw a rainbow and it was the most beautiful like sunset. And it was just like, we were the only people out there. There was like nothing alive out there besides us. And then all of a sudden chaos ensued and there was like thunderstorms and trucks going by me, like missing me by inches going 80 miles an hour. And I'm running on the dirt on the, off the side of the road. And it's like, I see, see the RV up ahead. And I'm just like thinking like, how, it's going to take me two miles. It's going to take me like 40 minutes to get up to this hill. And, um, on, in the booklet that we had, it said it was a 700 foot climb and it turned out to be much longer than that. It was a 10 mile long climb of almost, uh, three times that. Of oh my gosh. And so, uh, and you know, we, I'd been running for more than two days, you know, two and two and a half going into the, the, the beginning of the, the third, third day ultimately. Um, and so it was like this whole crazy, like the chaos of the world and everything. Um, but how we all regrouped and like, we're able to just like, be like, listen, like there's only one way that we're going to get this done. And that's by getting Cole out there, keeping motivated, moving forward. And yeah, it, it wasn't great getting out of the, in the RV, like out and in, out into the nature and like climbing up this hill that felt like it went forever in the darkness. But, um, ultimately that was like a pivotal moment and like eye opening moment of being like, man, if it was just me out there and like maybe someone that I didn't really know, um, and didn't really have that like true trust in, like, I mean, it would have been a totally different outcome. And, um, you know, so, crew is so essential, especially for these long multi-day events. So Joe, definitely, as you prepare for Cocodona, think about how you want your crew to, to kind of take shape. Um, because it, it literally is a performance enhancing aspect of, of what, what we do. Um, it can literally turn the tides for you. And I think that any top ultra runner in the hundred mile to the 200 mile plus plus space would, uh, would tell you the same. Yeah. Oh man. I love that so much. Yeah. Crew is like a performance enhancer for sure. And like, especially like in these longer races, which is so essential for those maybe who haven't had crew before, or just kind of, you know, they're, they're curious about like maybe going with their first ultra and assembling a crew. What are maybe like your best practices for like getting the crew aligned, making sure, obviously you said first, like one of the most important things is making sure you trust them and that they're going to be reliable, of course. But like when it comes to like the execution, right. Making sure that they know, like what they need to do and making sure like the expectations, like, do you have any like best practices that have helped you with your own, uh, you know, crewing experiences that have really allowed the crew to like get you the most performance enhancing benefits from them during your adventures and races? Yeah. So I, in the past when I would run like the 50 K hundred K 50 mile kind of stuff, 
it was usually just my wife kind of crewing and maybe my like my dad would like hop in and like help out and stuff um you know when i ran across new jersey we just completely winged it you know like my wife is driving in a car and like people from the community came out and like paced me and like helped out and stuff but like i never really run most ultras you know it was usually just me and then my wife was like helping out and then we just figured it out right um but what i've learned is that and this is where um you know her business case crewing kind of got started was um the more that you can kind of like take the workload off of one individual and spread it amongst a group of people mm. and not just that but also a group of people that have uh special skill sets and value to contribute to two things so someone that is a logistics expert somebody that has medical training someone that has um social media storytelling aspects that can kind of I don't have to post anything on my social media. I, I, you know, it's the Harvey Lewis scenario, hands it off to someone else that does all of it. Right. Cause mentally, like, I don't need to focus on like, Oh man, I got to take this great picture. Cause I'm going to be, have to show everybody what's going on. I don't have time for that. I'm focusing on trying to run my best race possible. Right. And so the more that you can kind of, I guess, offload these different aspects to people that you trust, um, the better the, the results going to be. Um, so that's kind of how chaos crewing got started is it's literally taking crewing being a voice for 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 crewing in trail and ultra running but also um doing a lot of things building a network and ultimately hopefully helping race directors and runners and people that have these skills like you know i've helped pace people as a part of chaos crewing and help pace people to personal bests you know and um you know so i think there's a lot of people out there that have different skill sets that have value that, you know, if you have a free weekend, like come on over and be, be a, uh, you know, some, you know, help enhance some person's race experience. And so that's ultimately kind of what chaos crewing is doing. It's take, it's becoming the NASCAR of trail and ultra running and showing that, you know, when you have a really dialed in crew and a, a, almost a professionalized crew, um, you know, ultimately great things are going to happen for the runner. So. So good, man. Yeah. And it's so cool to see chaos crew crewing, making that like a staple and making that like something that's in the forefront of every ultra runner and making it accessible as well, which is super cool. So by the way, for anyone who's interested in, in looking, uh, doing more information on chaos crewing, check the link in the show notes. I'll put the uh, link to all their stuff there too. Definitely check it out. So really, really cool thing, but I love how you took, you know, something that's so important in the world of ultra running and, and your wife too, like, and, and really made something great out of it. And I think it's an awesome even message to share like that, you know, crewing is something that's going to help you on your races. It can be, you know, something that can take you to the next level without you having to do too much things from the fitness perspective. Cause like, as you said, like you said earlier, like your mind is a muscle. And if you have to think a lot more, if you have to like, you know, think about where you're going to post on social media, like what things you need to like put in your pack, like that's going to eventually stack up and you need that mental energy to focus on getting the next climb done, moving on to the next uh, checkpoint, like all those kind of things as well. So I love that perspective, man. And it looks like and kind of rounding this off, like into the, the your most recent accomplishment, the Bay Circuit Trail, man, which congrats again on that. Super cool. I was watching the, the live stream on Era Vipa. And uh, I remember I was with uh, Bryce in... Um, we were at an Air Viper race and we were, we were chatting about him. We're like, oh my gosh, he's going to destroy this record. So we were, we were hyped to see it happen, but um, it looks like crew played a big role in there too. So um, I guess first, first and foremost, talk to me about 
the BCT FKT a little bit about it and you know what kind of drew you there obviously like the east coast representing on a, on a classic east coast trail like trying to get that in the forefront from your roots and everything but talk to us a little bit about this FKT what inspired you to do it, and then we can go into the details of the amazing accomplishment that you had on the day-to-day yeah so the bay circuit trail is a uh, long distance trail that circles around uh, 37 different towns and communities um, around Boston, pretty much. So kind of th- through like the suburbs. And um, what's really cool about it is to me, it kind of is like the Boston version of Central Park. That's just like 200 miles long, right? So um, it has greenways, it has state forests. I mean, it's 65% like New England style, rocky, rooty, difficult trail. And then uh, 35 of it are like bike paths. And like, uh, there's some road connections because you know, it's a very densely populated area. And so um, there are like short little road stretches that connect all these natural trails together. Um, What's really cool about it, especially is that it's it's one continuous trail. So like where a lot of longer trails, especially that we see in the Northeast are like, uh, they link different trails all together. And the BCT does that, but it's marked and blazed as one specific trail. Mm. Um, And it's marked pretty well um, for, the beast that it is um it's similar to me it's very similar to cocodona it's it links links the town so it's very to me it's like an east coast version of cocodona which is something that really drew me to it um and after experiencing it, it's like that's really like it is it's one of the most diverse trails that i've ever been on in my life and it has a cool flow to it like it's 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 like playing hooky like ultimately you're running through these like nature preserves and you're like there's like way like you're going through like a, a near a downtown, but you can't see the downtown. And all of a sudden you like pass through three towns and you're like, what town am I in? And you're like, Oh, you made it to Boxford. It's like, how the heck did I get there? I was just in Framingham like uh, two hours ago. Like, you know, it's like, so it, it kind of defies logic in a way. Um, but it's, it's really cool. It's, it's really a special, special resource. And the fact that it's super accessible. Um, that's something that Jamil and the team at Air Viper kind of talked about in the, the live cast. I mean, literally you could fly into Boston, take a, take a public transit, take the T train to trailheads and be on a 200, you know, 20, 20 mile trail. Um, and same thing, if you live in these communities, like you could literally, people were like, just walking out of their houses and like being like, Hey, are you cool? You running the Bay, Bay circuit trail? I was like, uh, yeah, I am like, Hey, can I run some miles with you? I'm so-and-so, you know? And it's like, it's, it really has this cool community vibe to it. And, you know, there's trails like this all over the country that people just don't pay attention to that, like fly right under the radar that, um, you know, we, we focus on such a small pool of trails and races that we deem important for whatever reasons. Um, and that's also why I did the Bay circuit trail. I, I saw an opportunity to hopefully try to be more of a voice and say like, Hey, like, we have great trails. Look at this. We have a 200 mile trail around Boston. Like it's Boston people. Like it, it, it shouldn't, this shouldn't be possible, but yet it is. And so that was really a big, um, driving point for me to be able to, you know, hopefully showcase kind of this little side of, uh, new England that, that we have. So that is awesome, man. Yeah. And I had no, I honestly no idea about the trail until you announced it like that you were doing this FKT and I was looking into it and I was like, this thing is rad. Like what the heck? Like, and so um, it's so cool to see a major city like Boston, as you were saying, having this diverse and just vast network of trails that's easily accessible too, right? Because sometimes like the Appalachian trail or the PCT, depending on where you're at is 
total beast to get to. It's super remote. It's kind of out there. So I like that accessibility. And you're kind of like doing like an ode to, uh, you know, the area, which is super cool going through the different towns and, and everything like that, which is awesome. And uh, you you obliterated the record, by the way. Like and so like it was, uh, you know, two days and, and five hours ish, like which is incredible. Um, what led to your success in that day obviously right like coming in this conversation it is the experience like letting leading up from all the races you've kind of done before this but when you think about like some of the either pivotal moments out there or just like your biggest keys to success like if you look back and you say like this was something that really led to a great day out there because again you not only got the fkt but you destroyed it and so when when you think of like the pivotal moments and the biggest key for success for you on the trail as you were going for this FKT, what were some things that, that come to mind when when thinking about that? Um, really, I have one that comes to mind and it's it's a buzzword in trail and ultra running and that's community. Mm. We always talk about it. Um, I think that's why I like 200 mile races is because it's it really gives you an opportunity, especially with even FKTs to build a community like mm. There, there are pre-existing communities out there. I mean, people were coming out of the woodwork to cheer me on, you know, parents with their kids dropping off blueberry scones and like uh, friendship bracelets. There's two two uh, young sisters that uh, made friendship bracelets for me. And like um, that is what made me run as fast as I did. Um, I went out aggressive because in the beginning of it, there's a lot of swamp land and um, there's something called the Bridgewater Triangle, like the Bermuda Triangle ghost stories and like Bigfoot and like all that. So I didn't want to run through there when it was dark. Um, and so I ran, I knew I was going to go fast the first 50 miles to get through that stuff. So then I could like focus on like, okay, like I'm not going to get eaten by a swamp monster. All right, let's go. And um, so that's kind of how that initially played out, you know, running fast at the speed project, going out aggressive. Like I draw confidence from that and being like, I don't know many 200 mile runners that can run like, um, you know, uh, at a pace of 16 hour, hundred mile finish time to like 19 and then like keep going for, you know, whatever, like speed project, it was like another 200 miles plus, you know? So, um, so I drew, I drew, draw confidence off of that being like, okay, like I do have some speed to me. I can use it in this, this way. Um, but yeah, I mean, just the, that people are able to like take time out of their day to like support and cheer on a local guy that's like running through a running through a trail is kind of like it's something that like again shouldn't it, it's something that we don't normally hear and see and like doesn't normally happen but it did happen and it was special and amazing and you bet your damn dollar that i used that as fuel you know i mean all the pacers that i had like all the uh matt dib the 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 past record holder like you know he was he was really uh, instrumental and his crew chief ben manning was helped us out immensely. And just like, like that to me is what ultra running is all about and what it should be about. It shouldn't just be about like, you know, the, how much money is flowing into the sport and blah, 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 blah. And all that type of stuff. It should really be about like, how do we, how do we lift people up? Even if they don't step, like don't even run a step on a trail in, in, in a specific race or experience. Like, I think that's why crewing is so valuable because we had tons of people that became a part of our crew hopped on mm. in and they 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 provided immense value to the you know to allowing me to to perform at the highest level and then at the end of the day i can look back on it and be like man all these people are out here for me and it's like you know i got to put my best foot forward because at the end of the day this is bigger than just myself mm. and so i think 
when we when we start looking at you know especially in 2024 trying to build out our race calendar like think about how maybe I, I challenge people out there how can you build your own community whether it's in a race in an fkt um you know i mean i think as we we look to try and grow the sport there's there's ways that we can bring people into the fold and they may not even be runners and like how cool is that so um you know crewing i think is one aspect of it but um yeah i'm just really humbled and honored that you know the base circuit trail fkt turned out the way it did um and yeah we definitely threw down for sure Oh my gosh, that's awesome, man. And I love that you talk about the community. I was getting chills like when you were mentioning how you would just run out and someone random would come and say like, hey, are you cold? And they would just share miles with you like complete stranger. Like that is so cool. And like, that's so awesome because it can be used as fuel because you realize just how rad this community is. And just like, you know, you almost like, not completely do it for them, but like you're saying like, hey, this person's like spending energy to be here for me. Like I'm, I'm gonna go out here and give it all I got and, and give the energy that I need to get this done, which is super, super cool. And uh, dude, I love it. You threw down out there. Like, was there a, like any, any one of your favorite kind of stories or memories, like where you really had to dig deep and kind of just push through like what tell, I, I think one of the favorite things that listeners love to hear. And I do too, personally, is like hearing these like crazy stories of just like gritting it through on these long efforts. So um, was, is there one that kind of is the most memorable for you where you really had to like throw down and, and, and push it and kind of get what you, what you needed to do to get that FKT. Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of had, I had, I had many, um, a, a few of them, like I had kind of like a knot in my calf, like from mile 80 on that just, it limited my like mobility and my right mm -hmm. leg to push off. And, um, here's a great example of someone being completely, you know, selfless, Brittany, who's one of uh, my wife's business partners, she doesn't massage most people's feet and stuff, but she did massage mine. I'll tell you that. And I literally, my feet were so, so like, uh, sore, like they were throbbing and she was able to get knots out of my feet and stuff. I mean, this trail, like you think, oh, well you run through these towns and communities. It can't be that bad. It's probably like mostly road. No, it's like, and sure the elevation gains aren't crazy, but there's steep trails. It was wet and slick, like rocks and roots. You can't see. Um, it was challenging and it, it beat me up a lot physically. And so like Brittany was one example of like stepping up and like really making a massive impact. Um, you know, really when it got, uh, leading into when it got really tough, uh, I ran with, um, uh, a father and his two daughters. Um, and then before that there was a, like a mile, uh, almost a, a, 20, 20 mile section where I, I ran with a pacer named Austin and this was his first time ever pacing. Oh, wow. And he did such an amazing job. And I was like, I knew I needed to take a nap because I we left at like nine o'clock at night. And I don't think we made it to the checkpoint until like maybe like 1.30 in the morning. And I was literally like fighting off. Like my mind is like, I'm losing my focus with my eyes. And I'm like, Austin, just keep me here. Keep me here. Because I'm like, I'm like, I don't want to like have the Cocodona experience where I start like having an out-of-body experience. And then I'm like halfway down the trail. So I, I kept telling him like, just make sure to check up on me because I could easily just stop and like go somewhere else, you know? So, so he made, he really kept me going to where I was able to hit that checkpoint and take a nap, really reset. And then finish the last, like, uh, at that point it was like a 50 K to go. And I, I thought I still had, I wasn't thinking about distance. So I still had, I thought in my mind I had like 50 miles to go oh my and God. they're like, Oh, you only have a 50 K. And I was like, what? I'm like, I'm thinking, man, I should have pushed harder. You know, but it's like, it was like, no, no, no. All right. This is perfect. Let's go. And then um, at the very end, I ran with Matt Dibb. So Matt 
was nice enough to pace me the last like marathon of um of the base circuit trail of kt and we sprinted really hard into the finish like i think uh i have to look back my my watch but i mean i think we were in the 20 to 21 minute 5k range oh my gosh yeah For, oh my gosh with like nearly 229 miles left on your feet that's crazy yeah so that was pretty cool um so like I think I mentioned it to Jamil on the little live cast. I was like, I think we might've ran the fastest 5k to close out a 200 mile run <laughs> in history. And that's what it felt like. Like we were just like in the flow. It was so cool. And like, it was the perfect way to finish it, right? Finish it with the the past uh, record holder, duking it out like side by side, like chariots of fire style, like, you know, this beautiful, like elegance in running. Like, you know, it's, it's the beauty of 200 milers too, is like, you can be beaten and like battered, but like, it's those experiences like you can have chinks in your armor, but like you're not, you're not knocked down. Like you're never mm -hmm. out of it. And like you have the ability within yourself to like be that much stronger, even though you have scratches on you um, and you look like you've been through it. Um, I think that you, you come out the other side stronger than you've ever been before. And so a uh, hundred milers and other distances are great, but like, that's what I get out of this multi-day 200 mile plus distance is you, you just, you go through a vision quest and you come out of it being like a totally changed person. So that's why I want more people to do them because they're just, it really is like the epitome of what adventure is all about. Oh, dude, I think, uh, you know, if I wasn't in for Cogadona, like, and I was kind of on the fence, I think that last line would have got me to, uh, to, to sign up. I mean, granted, I'm already signed up, but dude, I love that, man. I love what you call it like a vision quest because like, you know, I think, I think like there's a, there's a hundred miles, like you learn so much, but I, I can only imagine in these 200s, like, you experience so much, the ups, the downs, the memories, the adventures, the people, like it is literally a hundred miles, not just times two, especially if you're Cocodona or like, you know, anything or like BCT or any of this stuff, like it's more than two X. And so to like have that compound and to get to these like exhausted states, I mean, you learn so much about yourself. And I think it's awesome to see you sharing everything that you've learned across your journey and have it kind of culminate into this BCT FKT where, man, you just had an incredible day out there, had a good time. Like even when you were referencing that story of like keeping you in check, you referred back to Cocodona and like, you know, you talk about the crew, which was kind of a big thing learned from a uh, speed project. So you're pulling all these elements here to like really have a great, well-rounded experience. And I think like, it's just inspiring to hear that from you because like you said, like you might get a, a chink in the armor, you might get like knocked down, you might like fuck something up. But like in the end of the day, like you can always learn on that and improve for the next time. And that's where you're going to get out there. Um, what I think is interesting too, because like, it sounds like you're like all in on these 200s, but uh, you got something interesting coming up in just about a few months here. So uh, I, I won't spoil it for the crowd, but tell us what you got in a few months <laughs> and why the sudden shift. And then also too, like, I mean, if you're willing to share too about like the potential plan after, because I, I think it's just so interesting to hear like how people pick races and how they think about it, because I think it opens up the potential for a lot of people on how they make decisions. So tell us about what party you're throwing in February and, uh, the the kind of reasoning behind it because i think it's so interesting uh well for one i've never run a golden ticket race um whether it was because i was working a job that just didn't offer me the flexibility or like financially it was just a broke 20 year old that couldn't really figure things out right so um i always wanted to and um i'm lucky enough and i'm in a position to do that so um with being a part of the air vipa new england team and, um, you know, they've just been really awesome to work with, uh, Bryce and Jamil and, and Matt and that whole crew. 
um, you know, they, I got in as an entry for Black Canyon and I thought, well, I could just run the 100K, um, but why not make things interesting and just go for the 60K too? So I'm doing the 100 mile challenge is what it's called. So you're not going to see my name on the 100K entrance list, which is a, a purposeful, you know, it's like, oh, oh people, interesting. No one even knows that I, I'm going to, I'm on the roster, right? Because I'm listed as a 100 mile challenge, which is a separate category. Oh, but I'm in interesting. The 100K. So, so yeah, I'm going to work on speed running economy. Um, I'm just going to, you know, I have the endurance. I'm just going to really just do the best I can. Um, so, you know, I can give my best, best effort at Black Canyon and just see where the, you know, where everything, uh, kind of, I guess, ends up ultimately, whether it's a golden ticket or not, that's okay. Um, because one of the things I've learned in life is that, um, it's okay to fail and it's, it's okay to set big goals too. You're not always going to reach those goals, but like everything has purpose, everything has a lesson. And so if you are open to everything, if you're open to all, all experiences, and that's one of the things that I do in running is I open myself up and that's where I've, I think being able to thrive as an athlete is that, um, I kind of am like a receptor. I kind of like receive what the world is kind of offering. Right. Um, and so that's, what's going to happen. I'm going to show up to black Canyon as prepared as I can be. Um, and then just kind of like open myself up and see what, what that day holds for me. Um, and I'm sure whatever it is, it's going to be, uh, awesome. And, and, you know, you know, I'm going to get the finish regardless of what, what happens. Um, and, uh, yeah. And then depending on what happens, we're going to have to switch gears and run a 60 K the next, the next morning, which, <laughs> um, I don't know. That's the, kind of the, uh, the unknown is like, I like this idea. I want to do more multi-day stage racing kind of concepts. Um, and, uh, so it's kind of that like ex experiment. Cause I like to do like some of the, like, um, you know, like the five, the five day multi-day stage races, like marathon to sob and like where you're carrying all your gear in a backpack and doing all that. So I, that's actually when I got into ultra running the four deserts race series was something that was on my, my radar. I watched Ryan Sands, like set this record and crush it. And actually that's, he was like my first like idol. I was like, Oh, I want to do this stuff. And, um, COVID kind of spurred this, like, I want to do running that gives me that type of experience. It's not just mm -hmm. about podiums. It's about like being a part in like interfacing with the environment, you know, the, and, and the challenging parts of it, right? Like I'm not afraid of, I used to be afraid of things and now I'm kind of more open to like, you just got to throw yourself out there and see what happens and, and still st obviously still be prepared and be smart, but like, you know, cold environments, hot environments, like, they are what they are. You're just, you just got to learn how to optimize yourself and be the best version of yourself and you'll get through things. So, so yeah, that's what's happening. And, uh, I guess the other, the other side note is like, so if I don't get a golden ticket, I'm not, I didn't get picked in the lottery. So the golden ticket's kind of the Western States push. Um, and if not, then I'm definitely coming back to run Cocodona. So, um, as a crew and a team, we've discussed that that's kind of the contingency plan being a part of the air Viper team that keeps that open on the table. Um, so yeah, I mean, I have unfinished business at Cocodona. I mean, especially all the lessons I've learned, I think it's kind of like coming for full circle, right? Like my first belt buckle I ever got in a race was the Cocodona belt buckle. Get out of here. Are you serious? I'm serious. So oh my like, gosh. I had never had a belt buckle in a hundred K hundred mile, any of that. Cocodona is the first belt buckle I ever earned. So it's, it'd be fun to come back and like throw down and like really see what I can do with all the lessons I've already learned. Um, 
and then I'll throw another teaser out there for people too, Joe. Um, so there's a race in Nebraska in September. Hmm. It's called the Cowboy 200. Yeehaw. There's a 200 in Nebraska? Yeah. It's on a limestone rail trail. And um, I've been eyeing this race. It's now in its, in its third year, but it's like, I want to yeah. see how fast I can go on a trail for 200 miles. Just the same way people run Tunnel Hill for 100 miles. Like, I want to see what is possible on a dirt surface for 200 miles. So Wow. So it's like a ripper 200 where you can just pretty much send it for two i had never heard of that that is so interesting it's usually these 200s like i mean they don't really have anything less than 30k of climbing so like what's the total elevation on this one no idea uh but it's gotta be flat i think it's pretty i think it's fairly flat wow and so are you just yeah. gonna try and just see how fast you can go on that one yeah whether it's i mean i've run uh across new jersey i finished that in under 45 hours so oh my gosh we're, we're shooting for under that and maybe even more under that so I mean, you know, who knows? I mean, again, I'm open to all the possibility, but a great crew, great team, great community, like anything's possible. Um, and so, you know, I think when I say, oh, I don't think that I can do this, like Joe, you've been really great with being like, I'm swinging for the fences. And I think more people need to do that. Like, don't be afraid to think big and go for it. Um, obviously you can be realistic. It's like, yeah, I probably don't have the most legitimate like super shot at a golden ticket, but I mean, I'm going to start be at the starting line on the race. Most I'm a random baller. Most people don't know about me, um, but I have a lot of experience and, and good mileage under me. And, you know, if I have the right day and other people have more some, you know, subpar days, anything's possible. Oh, shout out to uh, Brett Hornig on the uh, random baller, random baller reference. I love that, man. And dude, you can get a ticket out there for sure, man. Like just knowing like how fit and the resolve that you have, like to to get it done out there. I know you you got a shot at it, my friend. And it'd be super cool because I think you'd be the first golden ticket ever uh, winner to race the 60K the next day. So you get like the chance to not only immortalize yourself in golden ticket history, but just uh, literally be like, like set probably something that, I don't know if much people would want to do winning a gold ticket after, but I think that would be a cool thing to have under your belt. For sure. And I got to represent my Rhode Island community really hard too, because Please do. you know, how many, how many, there's, there's only four, four trail runners in Rhode Island, right? That's what everyone says, but it's like, um, it's a, there's great trails out here. It's a great community, very, very tight knit. And it's like, yeah, I want to, I want to show some state pride. Like they've accepted me as if I grew up in Rhode Island, you know? So it's like, I want to throw down new England has accepted me as their own, which is rare, right? You don't find that every place you go. And so it's like, you know, I want to see my name being like with a golden ticket with the, the RI on there. Cause most people are like, where, what, what, what is this guy from? Where does he get elevation? What's all this stuff? And it's like, um, you know, it may not necessarily be the easiest path, but, um, those are the kind of paths that I like to take, you know, the ones that have, more of the overgrown types of things, and like not Barkley, but um, you know, my own overgrown paths. Because it's like ultimately, once once someone's able to do something and show what's possible, then it opens up the door for other people. Like a quick little example: Why did I run the speed speed project? I did this thing called the OG route it, because it's a longer route, and it's what inspired the race. And it was the ten year anniversary, and I was like, well, no no solo runners ever completed it, so. I want to show people that it can be done and did it, made it happen, broke the old solo record, like the 
complete solo record running, running further. And I hope to see people this next year in 2024, go after this OG route solo. Um, so, you know, it's, that's, that's, I think the lesson for people is like, you know, there's, you know, it, we're on this long journey together. And it's like, uh, when you open yourself up to the possibility and learn and continue to refine your own craft, eventually you're going to become a master of something, right? Mm-hmm. So, so true. It's it's like that 10,000 hour principle kind of thing where it's like you spend 10,000 hours at something, you're, that's where you achieve the mastery. Right. So we're all, all on this journey together. And the best part about it is that in trail and ultra running, we can do it with other people. So find your crew, whether it's uh, enlisting people at chaos crewing or, um, you know, uh, people within your, your networks, um, definitely do it. Cause I think the best things are the things that are shared. Mm, so good, man. I love that. And I love how not only you shared so much good training advice and good racing advice and strategies, but you also have such a love for the community and not just the community feeling and connecting people together, but also inspiring people to keep going for the things that they want to do. I think that was such a great note to end that on. And like, I love that. Like it was the hallmark in the speed project, right? Looking at the OG route, never been done before, but you said, why not me? And you went out there and, and got it. And you know, you, you got the, like the, the, the record on it. I mean, like, dude, and that's like the kind of things when people see that they start to say like, Oh, this is something that hasn't been done before. Like, what can I do? So just know that you are inspiring your building community, like through all you do. And we're all excited to see, uh, what you do in, in 2024 with your adventures at black Canyon. Um, either Western States or Cocodona, hope, hope, in, <laughs> hope in Western States. Uh, and then the Nebraska, the the 200 in Nebraska, which just sounds wild. I'm going to have to look up that like after the race. Cowboy, I think that, yeah. Cowboy 200. Cowboy 200. Um, I think it's called like ultra verse supplements that um, it, there's a gentleman that he actually ran Cocodona the same year I did. Um, I think his name's Chase. Um, and uh, he owns a supplement company and uh, also puts on races with his wife. Um, so uh, definitely check him out. I think he's putting on a 200 miler in, in Colorado as well. Um, oh my gosh. Yeah. But really great people. I've been meaning to run their race and I'm excited to be like, okay, I'm going all in. Like, let's just see how fast we can run 200 miles on a trail in. Yeah. And just send it. I love it. Like, cause that is like, usually with the 200 miles, like speed isn't the thing that kind of comes to mind. It's more so like time on feet, but I love how you can use this as like a 200 mile time trial. And, uh, man, I'm excited to, to follow along. And for anyone else who wants to follow along Cole's journey, which I highly suggest everybody here does, um, I'll put links to his socials, to chaos crewing, anything that mentioned in the podcast, go to the show notes and, uh, follow along Cole and his amazing journey next year. And, uh, super excited to, uh, continue to see what you're going to do, man. And, uh, this has been awesome, Cole, dude, I learned so much just, uh, as an aspiring 200 mile runner. And I'm sure a lot of people here did as well, but as you know, there's one question that I ask every single guest that comes on the everyday ultra podcast. So it's coming right to you my friend i know this question's been a long time coming so probably had some time to prepare but anyways my friend the show is called everyday ultra we exist to help our listeners be better endurance athletes every day so my question to you my friend is what can our listeners do every single day to be better endurance athletes uh i think uh, what i've said kind of before just open your open yourself up to opportunity um whether it's in your professional work life family life um running i think that you know one of the things I love most about running is that it's taught me valuable skills that I apply to everything that I do in my life. And I think um, rather than putting ourselves in boxes, when you push the walls away from those boxes and just say that, like, I'm just going to, like, 
you know, take in what the universe kind of brings and like present myself as who I am. And ultimately things are going to kind of gravitate towards you and, um, you know, great things are going to, going to happen. So, uh, put in the hard work, um, you know, nothing, nothing comes easy, but just open yourself up to opportunity. I love that, man. And I'm sure a lot of people listening to this have opened themselves to opportunity hearing you pursue the challenges in your life and all the new things. And like I said, I came out of this knowing that there's a 200 mile race in Nebraska now and all these new strategies not to uh, mess up my feet and, and sleep on uh, Coca-Dona. So you've opened up the new possibilities to me, my friend, and I'm sure you have for everybody else. And you're going to continue to do so as you head into 2024. And so dude, best wishes on Black Canyon. I'm going to see you over there. It'll be super cool to see you. And uh, thanks so much for coming on the show again, Cole. This was amazing. Amazing. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, everybody. Happy holidays. Happy holidays, everyone.